Good morning. What another glorious day, right? Sun is shining, temperatures are moderate, a little breeze, low humidity, I'm loving it. It's a glorious day out there, but you're in here. But that's because it but declares the glory of God who has made it. And so we come to do the same, to declare His glory. We are in a series through the book of Colossians, uh, Christ above all. He is presented uh, by Paul in the midst of this letter and lifted up as, as the one who is supreme and before and above all else. And he gives us a glorious revelation of Christ, and at the same time then he moves to apply it, that this revelation of Christ and who he is, seated at the right hand of Father in all of his glory, is to be Christ above all, not just up there, but down here, and in here, and in every aspect of our lives. And so he's been applying that Christ above all in our marriages, Christ above all in our families, Christ above all, as we look today, in our work. And uh, we'll talk about that. We're in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22. We're going to finish out the chapter and read the first verse of chapter 4. Sometimes when I read scripture like this, you know that the uh, paragraphs uh, and, the, and the sections and the chapters are artificial, that they were added la- later for our convenience, and they are very convenient. But sometimes i got to wonder at where they put them. Um, so chapter 4, verse 1, clearly belongs with everything that's gone before it, and verse 2 starts something new. So I don't know why we've got to pull verse 1 back, and we're going to read, finish 3 and grab 1 out of chapter 4. Here then... The Word of God. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. So masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We have gathered this morning to give our hearts to you in worship. And part of that is to sit at your feet And let you speak into our hearts and our lives with power. So Father, speak to us now. Speak to us about the sincerity and the consistency of our lives across all the spheres in which we find ourselves. That we would be truly your people in whatever context we are finding ourselves. To the glory of your name. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This section, it talks about bond servants and masters. Um, The best context for that in uh, application to us is to think about employees and employers. And I think that the the analogy or the transfer of that application of it for us is, is very easy and natural for what he is saying and the role that those folks played in the in the culture of the time versus the way things are a large part. In those days, about a third of the population were bond servants. 
And so another portion were the masters and, their, and the, the owners, and sometimes bond servants were voluntary. Sometimes there are a lot of different ways you could end up in service. It wasn't a pure slavery as we think of later slavery, and it's been engaged. And so there really is a good parallel here with employees and employers, and that's the way I'm going to talk about it. As we look at these relations, Christ above all in our marriages and our families, and then he turns here to employees and their employers. You know that the average person spends, if you work full-time, largely throughout your life, graduate college, get a job, work full-time, and retire, that you'll have worked about 90,000 hours in the workplace. 90,000, about a third of your life. And did you know that if you sleep eight hours a day, like an eight-hour work day, every day for your whole life, you'll spend a third of your life asleep. So a third of your life, so your waking hours, so a third of your life is asleep, a third of your life is at work, so literally half of your waking life, you're at work. But it's a huge portion of your life. It is literally half of your awake life is at work. And so who we really are, character and our conduct is expressed in the work environment at least half the time for those of us who work. And even if you work at home, and that's your environment in the family and with your children and, and, and there as well, so wherever you're doing it, it's still true. And since work is such a great part of our lives, let me state a couple of things up front that I think we need to know as we talk about it. And the first is that work is not a bad thing, right? God created work. God works. In fact, it said that he worked for six days and then he rested, and that's why we should also work six days as we rest, that we are modeling ourselves on God, imitating him in his work. There was work in the garden. There's work before the fall. There's work after the fall. The work after the fall is harder by the sweat of your brow, but work precedes the fall, and it is a good thing, and God has created us for it. He commands us to do it, and I believe that he delights in our work and all of its various shapes, forms, and sizes. The second thing I want you to know, and it's a danger telling you up front because I don't want you to stop listening, but the second thing I want you to know is that thing I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. It's in the title of the whole sermon, but it's true. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Whatever you do for a living, you ultimately work for Jesus. Whatever you do, you're working for Jesus. So if we ask the question, is there such a thing as a Christian work ethic, the short answer is yes, of course there is. Of course there's a Christian work ethic. There has to be. Because Christians are called to be like Christ. Right? Our work ethic is a set of values, a set of values that determine Right? Our attitude and, our, and the way that we work, right? So our attitudes toward work, all our attitudes while we're at work with people, whether an employer, employees, other workers, you know, about our hours, about money, about time, about all these things, right? There are a set, a work ethic is a set of values that determine our attitudes toward all of these things, and our set of values is going to be distinctly biblical and Christian and Christ-like. Who you are in Christ should determine your work ethic. 
who you are at work. It's who you are. You don't get to be somebody else at work than you are somewhere else, like when you, you are Sunday morning, or at least it shouldn't be. You shouldn't be somebody else at home than you are today here in front of everybody else, at home or at work or wherever it is. Who you are determines your work ethic, your faith in Christ, your conformity to his life, your conformity to his attitudes, that they become ours and they permeate our living and our working in every way. Tom Basford writing says this, you shall not steal. We know it to be true whether you're tempted to steal candy from a store or to cheat on your income taxes at home or to permanently borrow tools from work or to leave early when they're paying you by the hour and mark it up or whatever it is. Therefore, everything that we have learned and know to be true about the Christian life in general is applicable to our work ethic in specific. There's not a different ethic at work than there is somewhere else. Sometimes, and I don't know how we do this, how we dichotomize things in this way, loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, treating others as we want to be treated, sharing, not judging, talking behind someone's back, all of these things are as important in the marketplace and where you work as they are on Sunday morning. In other words, they are, they are the Christian ethic. They are what it means to follow and be like Christ, and so we are like that wherever we go. And it doesn't change. The work ethic applies not just to the quality of your work, and it should be to that. You should be the best plumber if you're a plumber. Because you don't just work for the person you're working for, you're working for Jesus. We'll look at that more. But, so we should be the best. Because we always have an eye, not to who's watching me at work, or not an eye just to my employee, but I have an eye to Jesus and who I am determines how I work. Who I am determines how I work. It dishonors the name of Jesus. When we hear complaints in the workplace, and I hear it quite often in these things, this person at work, and they do this, and they got this attitude, they treat me like that, I see them doing this, and they just, you know, this, and they say they're a Christian. I mean, how, how many times have you heard that? And they, and they say they're a Christian. There's something incongruous about it. There's something out of sync. There's something wacky about it because it dishonors. When you tack that on there, it dishonors the name of Jesus. When our ethic, when all these things, we do these things, and we say that we're Christians, right? And we saw back in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, at work or at home, you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? Or in verse 23, which is where we're heading, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, you work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so if you're an employer or you're an employee, whether you are self-employed or whether you're working at home, you work for Jesus and for the honor of his name. And so let's look at employees in verse 22. He addresses them specifically, and he gives them some very uh, detailed instructions, really. The bondservant is to obey in everything. 
Right? So how many of things that your employer is, is paying you for that he expects you to do, <clears throat> how many of those do you have to actually do? Employees, submit to your employer, obey your employer in everything. You don't have to like it, but it's your job. It's what they're paying you to do. It's what they hired you to do. It's what they expect from you. So do your job. Obey them in that sense. Do your job fully and completely and honestly as far as your employer expects it from you. If that's the agreement they have and they're paying you for it. Obey them in everything. Not by way of eye service. And he goes on, and this goes for everything. You can just get down to the nitty-gritty time expectations. You know, the task that they have for you, or you're not supposed to be on the internet shopping when you're working, but you do, right? Or you're not supposed to be on your cell phone. Some jobs they allow you, some they don't. You just got to know what the rules are. But won't let it be said, you know, well, they keep doing this and they're doing that and they're over there, you know, whatever, and they say they're a Christian. When everybody knows what the rules are, everybody knows what the employer expects, everybody knows the expectations on our time, don't let it be said, we're the exception. Too often we justify partial obedience we, with all kinds of things in our heads, like, well, I don't like my boss, he's a jerk, so, so I don't have to you know, fully give myself to my work, you know, or I feel underpaid. They don't pay me enough. <laughs> so, well, you signed on, you agreed. Here's the job, here's the pay, you signed on. If they don't pay you enough, get another job. But it's not an excuse to not do the job the way we've agreed to do the job and what we're being paid to do. Whether we feel underpaid or not, if we think the expectations are unreasonable, the Bible never qualifies it. We say this over and over again on these things. It never says, hey, if you think it's fair, if you like the rules, if you agree with your employer, then obey them in everything. Right? He never qualifies it. He just says, be upright. Obeying everything. You know, what, you know the expectations, meet them. It's our job. Because ultimately, it's not just about pleasing them. And this is where he'll go. He, Paul stacks it up to make this so clear. You know, it's not because of the company or the boss or because it's fair, you know, but because of who we are and who we ultimately are accountable to and who we are ultimately serving in this, right? And so he tells us, he, Paul stacks up several phrases here that are, are very descriptive to very practically look at this. He closes all the loopholes, whatever loophole you've been thinking, you know, he closes them all up, right? There are no loopholes. He says, right, verse 22, bond service obey in everything those who are your earthly employers, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers but with sincerity in your heart, fearing your Lord, right? Not with eye service. Eye service is when, when people can see you, right? So don't do it just as eye service, you know, when their eye's not on you, so it's eye service. When you can see me, I do what's right. When you're not looking, when the cat's away, right? They show you. So who you are when nobody's looking, who you are at work when the, when the boss isn't around or your employees aren't looking, who you are when you're not. He says, don't just obey in everything. 
to please the, the, the onlooker, whoever's looking, he says, not I service, but who are you when you're, no one's looking? Are you the same guy, the same girl, the same employee, with the same work ethic, whether somebody is watching you or not? Because it has to do with who you are and who he is rather than anybody else. We do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the integrity of our work and of our hours and of our diligence has to do with me and the Lord. Whether anyone is watching or not, it's not a show for them. It's an expression of who I am as a Christ follower. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. I service. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Because if you do, you have your reward from your Father. Um, Sorry. For then you will have a reward. You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In other words, if you're you're looking to please people and they see you and, and, and you've gotten your reward in a sense from them, then you get no reward from your Father. If you're serving them and getting a reward from them, then don't expect a reward from Him. But when you're serving him, he says there is reward. And whether we're serving him or not is shown in whether we are the same people when we're being watched or not. He says, not as I serve, it's not as people pleasers. So it's not just about who you are when no one is looking. It's who you are when you're looking, when people are looking. You're not pretending to work. Right, the last one was about when their eye is on us and they see us eye service. This one is about who is your eye on. Right? It's not just about when their eye is on you, but who is your eye on? Is your eye on them or is your eye on, again, on the Lord? Your ultimate employer. In other words, Jesus is after the heart of our work. How we work, who we are. We don't work for people. We're not people pleasers. We don't live by comparison. I don't have to just be a little better than the guy in the next cube. Right? I don't have to just be a little better than that guy. Well, he does this. Well, at least I do. We're not, this isn't the measure, right? Our eye is on the Lord. I want to please him, right? I don't know if you remember. Maybe you don't. I'm old enough. In the 80s, I became to Christ in the 80s. And so all my initial Christian music was started in the 80s. Michael Cards, when he was first around. One of the bands that I listened to a lot, actually went to see in concert down in Roanoke, was Petra. Anybody remember Petra? I think they're still around some. You know, some of their songs are kind of, you know, but some of their songs, a lot of their songs, though, they go right for it. And this is what, sometimes I'll go back and I still, still enjoy them, but they had a song that as soon as I started reading this text and thinking about it, and he said in that whole, you know, we're not to be people pleasers, they got a song called God Pleaser, right? And this is some of the lyrics. I won't sing them for you. <laughs> that would be bad, right? But I don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to do the things that please the Father's heart. Some make a sacrifice and never let it show. Some make the point of letting everybody know. Some will live their lives as unto men. And they have their reward. I just want to do everything I do with all of my heart as unto the Lord. I just want my life to glorify His Son 
to make the father proud that I'm his child before I'm done. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I don't serve men. I want to be a God pleaser. No need to pat me on the back, stop to shake my hand. I just want to hear my father say, well done. Not eye service, not people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart. Literally, when it says sincerity of heart, the word being translated as sincerity actually is the word for single. It said with singleness of heart. Having one heart is what it means to be sincere. And it's a good image. I like the, the image underneath it is, is a good one. Not having two hearts, a singleness of heart, sincerity of heart. When you have two hearts, there's a lack of sincerity. If I'm one person at church and another person at work, I've got two hearts. I'm two people. right? He says, but with singleness of heart, one heart. Who you are is who you are before the Lord. With singleness of heart, with one undivided heart, the same heart all the time. In other words, it's who you are. You're not pretending. You're not putting on a show. You're living for Jesus. And you're living for Jesus everywhere. Homework, church. You're serving of the Lord Jesus no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. It doesn't change. And so he finishes with the phrase, fearing the Lord. Not with eye service, not people pleasing, but with a singleness of heart, living in the fear of the Lord. Right? Which is the same, I think, as a New Testament, the New Testament way of the Old Testament phrase, to fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, and doing this in the fear of the Lord. And the New Testament way of saying exactly that is what he said in 17. It means to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so live in the fear of the Lord, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or verse 23, it is to, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, single-heartedly, with all respect, worship, knowing we're accountable to him and not to anyone else. And so he goes to the employer. I'm going to jump down to 4.1, take the employee to the employer. Employers, masters, employers, those treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Treat your employees justly and fairly. Let it be said, however hard a boss you are in towing the line and keeping their feet to the fire to do their job, never let it be said that it was unjust or unfair, right? That, that, that we step beyond, that he's doing this, this, and this, and the way my boss is treating me, and, and he's a Christian. There are some ways that, you know, they're not going to like you if you're their boss and you hold their feet to the fire, but never let it be said it because you were unjust or unfair, or in some way abuse, those of us who hold positions of authority or power over others, and how we use it should honor him. Just and fair, a fair wage, reasonable hours, not taking advantage of them, providing what is f- fair and square. And in the, in, the, in the employer's life, just as in the employee's life, all of the Christian virtues come to bear. Patience. Gentleness, kindness. Do we bear the fruit of the Spirit at work or just at church? Right? Is the fruit of the Spirit who you are because you walk in the Spirit and love Him and honor Him and walk with Him and reflect Him 
Or is it something you bear here, but not here? And I'm somebody else in another context. We wouldn't treat employees the way we would want them to treat us if we were in their situation. If we were them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat them the way the Lord, you would want the Lord to treat you. Because ultimately you're His servant. And in some ways, the way we treat the people that work for us, we're saying that's what we think our Lord and Master is like. Because right, I'm, I'm following Jesus and I'm imitating Jesus. I'm a Christ follower. And, and if He is my Lord and Master and the way that I serve Him and the way He treats me, and I, I'm your employer, your superior, the way I treat you is a declaration in some ways of the way I think the Lord treats me. And so sometimes we blaspheme by the way we treat people when it should give him honor and glory to who, from who we are and how we treat. And so it reminds employers that they also have a master, right? He says, treat them justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master. You are a man or a woman under authority. You are a man or a woman who is accountable, right? You have somebody who's watching your work, right? Somebody to whom you must give an account. And so it's not just about you and your employees. It's about you and the one who calls you and who commands you. And so let's bring it back around then to the heart of it all, which is what we find in verses 23 to 25. So in between the employer and the employee, and I think this is the heart for both of them in verses 23 to 5, and not only that, but going backwards to children and to parents and to husbands and to wives and to the Christian in general, as we apply it in every situation, verses 23 to 25, he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Employee, you are serving the Lord Christ, he says, in your job and what you do and how you do it and who you are when you do it. An employer, you are serving the Lord Christ in the way that you do your job and manage people. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Verse 23 says, work heartily. Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. Interestingly, as you saw back a minute ago, he said, with sincerity of heart. And we saw sincerity there meant singleness of heart. In this phrase here, working heartily for the Lord, the word heart is not even in the phrase. In the Greek, it's not there. It's a way of translating it for you to work heartily. Underneath it, it actually says to work Ek suches, which is from, and the word is not heart, but soul. Work from the soul is what it actually says. Sometimes I wish they would put that, and then maybe in comma, work heartily, you know, as a way to help you understand what that means. But underneath it, he's saying this, whatever you do, work from the soul. Whatever you do, employer, employee, parent, child, husband, wife, whatever you do, work it from the soul, from who you are. Put your whole self into it. Why? Because you work for the Lord, he says, and not for men. And that's what he says there, right? Work 
from the soul as for the Lord. And not for man. Not for people. And you don't live for people. You're a saint. You live from the soul. You are a saint. Literally. Biblically. You are a saint. You are a holy one. A Christ follower. A Christian. A small Christ. A, a, a one in whom Christ dwells by his spirit. One who belongs to him. And so are holy in that sense. United to Christ by his spirit. Raised with him in time and eternity unto a new life. Work from the soul. From who you are. And let who you are be who you are all the time. Work out of that place. Always and ultimately wanting to please him. And he, why? Because in verses 24 and 25, he tells us, right, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward because you're serving him, you're serving Christ, and the wrongdoer will be paid back. He starts talking about accountability, about the one with whom we have to do. And he says, work this way because of the one with whom we have to do, the one with whom we will give answer to. It's not about you and your boss. It's not about you and your employees. It's about you and the Lord. It always is, my friends. If you haven't figured that out, it's always about you and the Lord. Whether you're home alone, whether you're in the park, whether you're in worship, whether you're at work, whether you're with your friends, wherever you are, it is always about you and the Lord and who you are as his man or his woman. From the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward. He says you're not just working for a paycheck. And if that were it, you might feel underpaid. You're not just working for a paycheck. It's not just about the money. He says, he says you are working as an expression of the hope that you have in Jesus. The inheritance that is yours and your reward for loving him and walking with him and serving him and pleasing him. And your reward is out of this world. And he says you're not working for a paycheck. Right? You're working as an expression of the hope that he has given you and that will one day come into your possession. And not because you worked for it. It's an inheritance. It's given to you in Christ because he is yours and you are his by faith alone. To the Lord we are accountable for good and ill. And it's always true. Verse 24 is always true. If you belong to him, you are serving the Lord Christ. Question may come, you may, the question may be whether you're serving him well or serving him poorly. But the sentence is always true. Verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. I suggest that we seek to serve him well. Right? He calls us to serve him well. From the moment you get up in the morning to the moment you drop off to sleep, you are serving the Lord Christ. You are his. You are his servant. And actually then, if this is true, that we're always serving the Lord Christ, then your work actually can become, and is, whether you like it or not, know it or not, your work actually is part of your worship. Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert in their book, The Gospel at Work, it's a nice little book. Write it down, you want a little book that takes you in, into the more detail in your work life. The Gospel at Work. 
by these two guys. They say this, when glorifying Jesus is our primary motivation at work, regardless of what that work is and its particulars, whether you're a plumber or you're raising children or you're a banker or whatever it is that you're doing, no matter what the particulars is, it becomes an act of worship. When you're seeking to glorify Jesus as your primary purpose, whatever it is you're doing, it becomes an act of worship. It is unto him, which is how we always live, quorum Deo, in the face of God, before the face of God. You can't live any other way. Like the sun shining, it is always there. These two guys, Traeger and Gilbert, again say this, do you think about your job like that? Do you realize that no matter what your job is and no matter what it is you do in your job, that no matter who your boss is or even your boss's boss or whether you like your boss or whether he's a good boss or what you do in your job, do you know that it's actually done in service to King Jesus? He is the one who deployed you there for this time of your life and it is for him that you will ultimately work. Christian, before you are anything else, You are a Christian. You are a Christian first. You're a Christian before you're an American. So you're either a Christian who is an American or a Christian who is a Canadian or a Christian who is Mexican or a Christian who is Israeli or a Christian who is whatever, but you're a Christian first and your identity nationally is secondary, always secondary. And where those two are in conflict, you know whom you must serve. Right? You are a Christian first no matter what you do. You're a Christian. So you are a Christian who happens to do other things. You're a Christ follower who happens to be home raising her children right now. Or his children. If you're a Christ follower, then you're a Christ follower who happens to be selling cars. Or a Christ follower who happens to be running a company or teaching in a public school or or doing whatever it is that you're doing, that you are a Christ follower. Whatever you do, being a Christ follower defines who you are and how you work so that it comes from the soul. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, He died for all. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. He died for all. For all, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but would live for him. He died. He bore our sins in his own body on the cross to set us free, to set us free from the guilt of our sin. He died to set us free from the judgment of our sin. He died on the cross to set us free from the power of our sin. He died on the cross to set us free from ourselves, from living for ourselves. He died so that those who live would no longer live, whether they're in their parenting or as a child or in their work or in their marriage that they would no longer live for themselves. He died so that you would live for him. Free to no longer live for me. Free to live for the resurrected Savior, for the King of the universe who reigns over the sphere of the earth in all things. The one who calls it into existence. Free to be free of myself and to serve him. Living for Jesus knows no boundaries. Because serving Jesus knows no boundaries in our hearts. If we have one heart and we live from the soul, then serving him has no boundaries. 
because we're undivided. We belong to Jesus. If we live and work out of our souls, out of the life that we have in Christ with a sincerity of heart, then it will be the Lord Christ whom we serve at all times, in all places, at home and at work. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have bought us for yourselves, that you shed your blood, that you died, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but that we would belong to you. Oh, help us. Help us, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to belong to you, to love you, to serve you, to honor you, to live for you, to walk with you, to know you. Come near, Lord Jesus, and save us from ourselves, that we might honor your name, whatever we do and wherever we go. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.